0: Take your Bibles and turn to the book of Acts, please. I'm glad you're here today. For two months, I got to preach to empty chairs and the skeleton that we had that we were having a little fun with. Um, but now they're live people, and we have a soul, we have a heart and we can follow the Lord Jesus Christ, and I'm glad that you're here today. You know, the church began in the book of Acts, and as it began, the Lord Jesus had died on the cross, and in Acts chapter 1, we're not going to go there, but in Acts chapter 1, the Lord was already resurrected, and he came to the different uh, disciples, and for 40 days, a lot of people that don't know their Bible too well, they're surprised to know the Lord was on the earth for 40 days after He's resurrected. And he walked around. He showed himself to people. And uh, at one point in the Bible, it says that when Paul was preaching, he said, there are still 500 people alive at that point that said, I saw the Lord resurrected. I saw him and talked to him. Wouldn't that be neat to actually have been able to talk to the resurrected Lord Jesus? And uh, at the beginning of the book of Acts, then, the Lord goes into heaven. A cloud takes him up. And he said, "As in the same manner that I'm going, I'm going to come back again. And we look for the second coming of the Lord, and that's a separate thing. But then the church begins to unfold in Acts chapter 1, and um, they have to replace one of the disciples, because one of them had betrayed Jesus. There was 12, but they had a traitor named Judas. And so they have to replace him. And they come up with Matthias is, is, uh, that that other replacement, And uh, in chapter two then, we find the Lord begins to empower that early church with the presence of the Holy Spirit. And when a person gets saved, the Bible teaches this truth. When I ask Jesus Christ to come into my life, actually God's Holy Spirit comes and dwells in my heart from that moment on. I don't have to ask for them in some experience. There are those in in Christianity that say this is like a second thing, like you ask Jesus in your heart, then you seek the Holy Spirit. When you ask Jesus in your heart, he gives you the Holy Spirit, and he confirms his salvation in your heart until the day we actually stand before the throne of God. The Bible says he's like the earnest payment. And he comes into my heart, and he stays there, and he goes with me, and he empowers me. This early days in the church, the Holy Spirit had not been given yet. Jesus said, I will in like manner give you a comforter. And that word comforter means the word somebody that will come alongside and help you through your Christian life. So that's what we start with Acts chapter 2. Let's turn there, please. It says Acts 2 verse 1, and when the day of Pentecost was fully come, They were all with one accord in one place. Well, that's pretty amazing. A bunch of people all together. They're not arguing. They're not having a fuss. They were all just with one accord in one place. And they were celebrating the Feast of Pentecost, a Jewish holiday. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. And it filled all the house where they were sitting. So they were sitting, worshiping, and thinking of God, and thinking about the Lord Jesus, and all of a sudden, they just heard, like we'd say, a tornado. Something just, but man, this thing just came, and it filled the house, and it says there appeared on them cloven tongues like as a fire. So, a lot of people, when they picture it, it they picture it that it's just sort of dancing right here above their head. There's a like a little tongue, a little shape of like a like you'd see in a candle of fire above each one of them. So, this rushing breeze comes in, and then this fire seems to come up above them. Verse four and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. This was something new. In the old testament, the Holy Spirit would come upon people like kings and prophets and different things. But this is something new. Every believer from this point on that gets saved is gonna have the Holy Spirit live in their heart. Do you know Jesus is your Savior today? I hope you do than the Holy Spirit. You said I didn't experience this. This was a one-time special event that God is just showing his power coming upon this early church and upon these apostles. And it says, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and they began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. When you look at that word, other tongues means different languages that they had never studied. So they were able, I would like that, I would be able to speak Spanish, I'd Italian. I'd be able to speak French or Portuguese or uh, how about Arabic? Wouldn't that be cool? I never studied it, and all of a sudden I stand up to, to say, "How are you doing?" And uh, uh, instead I say, "Gracias," and I start speaking in Spanish. This amazing ability comes upon on these uh, apostles. Today's modern charismatic tongues movement misinterprets. the Bible intends here. In just a moment, we're going to find that there are 21 or 22 different groups of people in Jerusalem at the time. They were Jewish people that had been dispersed all over, but they were supposed to come back regularly to the temple, celebrate these big feasts. So they had moved to other other countries. Now their main language was, you figure it out, Spanish or whatever it was. But when they came here, how could you talk to all these people with 21 different languages? God gave this gift of speaking in tongues so that they could evangelize this group. And they then would take the gospel back in their language to their countries. It was not what the modern people teach, a heavenly language that you speak that nobody understands. Sometimes say like a heavenly gibberish. I don't want to demean what people think about it. But the Bible says they spoke with other known tongues, unknown to themselves, but not a language like a heavenly kind of a breed of languages, okay? So let's read on. And there were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, devout men out of every nation under heaven. So you notice they came from all these different languages. Now, when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together, and they were confounded because that every man heard them speak what? In his own language. And they said, they were all amazed, and they marveled, saying to one another, Behold, are not all these which speak? Galileans. Now, to you and I, we may not understand. That is really a sort of a demeaning thing. Let me try to put it in a language you could understand. Here's all these people speaking French and Italian and all these languages from 21 different countries, and everybody's hearing the, the message on their own, and they say, aren't these all guys from Kentucky? <laughs> aren't these guys hillbillies? How, 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 are these guys, how are these guys doing all this? You know? You fill in the language. I'm sorry. I, I was too easy. Okay. okay. But that's how they felt. It, just, it was impossible. And so God had given this language. And now let's go on in chapter, verse, verse 8. And how hear we every man in his own tongue wherein we were born. So were they hearing a heavenly language? No. They were hearing a tongue that this man had never studied but this man was born speaking of it. And God, I believe, gave this special gift on this day for the propagation or the spread of the truth of Jesus Christ had died, was buried, and rose again. And the message that Peter is going to stand up and preach really talks that day the reason why that we can do this is because God wants us to understand who Jesus is. And, you know, in a church, the main job that you and I have is to make sure that everybody we know knows our Jesus. And they know who he is, why he came, what he did, and how we should respond. That is the main mission of God's church. And here as the church is being empowered with the Holy Spirit, God is going to give them an ability to do that. You know, God left you and I with a commission. It's right up here on the wall. Go ye into all the world and preach what? And what is the gospel? The good news of Jesus Christ, that he died for them and that he could save their soul from their sin and they could have everlasting life. And we still have that ability to do that. So God has given us that same empowering of the Holy Spirit today to go out and evangelize and talk to people. He said, well, pastor, I feel afraid. I'm scared. You're never alone. The Bible said, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world when we take the gospel. Let's go on, verse 9. We're not going to read through all this, but look at verse 9. He starts listing all the places they came from. Parthians, Medes, Elamites, dwellers of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontius. Do you get an idea of all these different countries they came from? 21 or 22, you can divide it up how you want. Verse 12, and they were all amazed, and they were in doubt saying one to another, what does this mean? So this is the question that's being set up for Peter in just a moment where we get the rest of the chapter. The question is, what is this all about that all these guys can speak these languages? How, what, what, is this, what does this mean? Why is God doing this? And it says in verse 13, others thought that when they heard these guys speaking and they couldn't maybe understand, they said, they're all drunk. Can you imagine if you walked in a group and they're all going, blah, 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 and not a language you knew. And they didn't understand. So some people were amazed because they were hearing him speaking Parthian. They heard him, the Medes heard him speaking in their language. And uh, But others say, these are just a bunch of people that are, you know, they're drunk. They don't understand the miracle that God's done. Look at verse 14. But Peter, standing up with the 11, lifted up his voice and he said unto them, ye men of Judea and all that dwell at Jerusalem, be this known unto you, and hearken to my words. I'm going to explain to you what's going on. Now, I'm not going to read the whole sermon. I'm going to give us a highlights of what Peter explained to them. Look, if you will, verse 15. These are not drunken, as ye suppose. Do you know people that look at churches and they come inside a church building and they see people loving Jesus and singing praises and they see people giving offerings and they see people coming back on Sunday night and on Wednesday night? And they say, But you, got, what, you guys got a cult over there? They don't understand. And this group did not, he said, We're not drunk. We're not a cult. We love the Lord Jesus. And we've yielded our life to him. Look on in verse 16. But this is that which was spoken in the Old Testament by the prophet Joel. And he goes on and explains that God was going to visit them with this ability on this day to take the gospel forth. But here in verse 21 is the reason why. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Do you see the purpose in this? He said, they're not drunken, but this is what God said in the Old Testament that he was going to give his Holy Spirit on the church and on these people so that they could take forth the gospel and it will come to pass in that day, Old Testament prophet, there will be a day that when you call upon the name of the Lord, you can be saved. Saved what? From my sin. And is this not the message that we preach? For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Let me ask you a question as you come to this auditorium this morning. Have you called upon the name of the Lord? Have you believed that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that He's exactly who He says He is? He's God taken on human flesh, and He lived a sinless life. He's taken your sin and my sin, and He placed them upon His sinlessness, and He didn't take His death. He took my death, and He died for me, and He was buried. But God then received Him and raised Him from the dead, and whosoever shall call upon that name, shall be saved. And God says that he would give them all those that called upon him. And that in Christ, we have then a standing of righteousness before God. I don't stand there in my goodness or your goodness or my works or my church any or my lineage or my baptism or my church membership. I stand there in Jesus. And this is what he's preaching. Look at verse 22. Ye men of... Israel hear these words Jesus of Nazareth a man approved god among of god among you by miracles and wonders and signs which god did by him in the midst of you as ye yourselves also know let's just stop what he's talking about there you all know they're talking to a generation that they all this Jesus he was a man and what is that why is that important Jesus was the god man Jesus came down, and he stood in our shoes, and yet without sin. And Jesus Christ then was able to be my substitute. The Bible in the Old Testament pictures a lamb being slain every year, And that lamb, they would lay their hands upon that lamb and transfer figuratively all their sins to him and they'd offer that blood and it'd be like the sins of the nation every year had to be cleansed. God said he sent Jesus, the perfect lamb. And that when he died, he died once for all. He doesn't have to be sacrificed. You read the book of Hebrews. He does not have to be sacrificed again and again. And again, he was God's perfect. This man that came down and he took my sin, God's perfect lamb, and he took my sin. Look at verse 24. Whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holden by it. And we see here that the power of God has raised up his son and given him everlasting life. And what do we have, hope? We have the hope the confidence or the promise that if we are in Jesus Christ, that God the Father will in the like manner raise us up at the last day. And so this is the message that Peter's preaching. We've heard it before. So you say, okay, this is truth. But this group had never heard this before. You mean Jesus is God's son? He's God's lamb? He was this human being, yet he was God, and he took all of our sins, and he was buried, and God raised him up? This is an amazing truth. Whosoever calls upon his name can be saved. Look at verse 25. For David, that's King David, speak concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face. For he is on my right hand that I should not be moved. And here we find the Lord Jesus. Where is he today? He is at the right hand of God. And if we take our Bible, we'd see that he is there interceding for you and me. There's a beautiful picture in the book of Hebrews that when Jesus goes into God, he stands in the right hand of God, which is the hand of favor. And then it says at a certain point that Jesus sat down. Now, why do you sit down when your work is finished? And so we see Jesus in the heavenlies, having gone and offered himself, and he's died, he was buried, and God raised him up, and now he's at the right hand of God, and then he is seated there as the son of God of authority and power. And you and I in Christ have that same position Look on, please, if you will. Verse 31. I'm sorry, verse 26. Therefore did my heart rejoice, and my tongue was glad. Moreover also my flesh shall rest in hope. And we preach this every once in a while. It's one of my favorite truths in the New Testament, that because Christ has done this, you and I have great hope. And we talked about that word hope. The Old Testament word, this word in the New Testament is not the hope maybe, it's the hope I know. It's confidence. If I were to promise you a million dollars, how many of you people think I could write a check for that? Maybe you didn't hear me. How many of you hope I could write a check for that if I wrote that? would you? When the, that's not what I'm talking. But if God promises you something, Can God do it? Our hope is in the Lord. Our confidence is as strong as the Lord himself. The resurrection of Christ shows our resting, finished work. Our hope is in Christ, this resurrected Savior. Now, let's get back to the point of Peter's sermon. This is why these people could speak all this language. They want to tell you the good news, the gospel to take it to all the world. And we want you to go tell your friends that Jesus Christ, the God-man, has come and he's died in your place and God has received that and he's raised him up and you can rest in this hope. And when you rest in a hope, that means you can trust in it and relax. Jesus has finished the work. And that's why we're here to preach today. And that's why we're here today to preach that Jesus Christ has finished the work. Look at verse 31. He's seen this before, spake of the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in hell, neither his flesh did see corruption. This is an important thing for you and I to understand, that when you die, your soul and your flesh will not be left in hell. As Jesus Christ was raised up, so will you be raised up. I preach funerals from time to time. I had a funeral last Sunday afternoon. I the first Sunday afternoon funeral I ever had before. Got a chance to preach the gospel to a whole group of people. Quite honestly, they weren't very interested. Uh, they just—they were very polite, but they were in a different lifestyle. And I, But I told them the good news. I have preached a lot of other sermons at a funeral of somebody that knew Jesus Christ and clearly identified with him you talk about a funeral with a lot of hope. I don't like to see people die, but when people die in Christ, you can rest in hope. You don't have to fear death. We like Psalm 23, though I, we talk about the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And then it comes to the part, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will... Fear no evil. Why? Because the Lord is with me. Let's just stop in our sermon again and ask us this question. The only way that you can rest in this hope is if you know Jesus as your Savior. Are you at rest this morning? Oh, yeah, I'm ready for my second nap. Wake up. Come on. That's not what I'm talking about. Are you at rest this morning? It's not because I'm a church member. It's not because I did better than I did. I used to do a lot of bad stuff. Now I do a lot of good stuff. All my good works is filthy rags. It's not because you name your denomination, Baptist, Methodist, Presbyterian, whatever you want to. It's not because of that. I rest in Jesus. I rest in his finished work. Maybe you're here this morning that you've heard all the facts for a long time That Jesus claimed to be God and he came to die in our place and he was buried and he's risen again. And people said, then you need to call upon his name to be saved. But you say, I really haven't done that yet. You then cannot rest this morning because the Bible says the wages of sin is death and hell. That's God's word. It says in the book of Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27, it's appointed unto man once to die. Then after this, there's a judgment. You know, every one of us here, I think we've all been cognizant recently about this virus going around. And on one sense, I'll never get it. And then you find out somebody died that said that. There was a preacher that said that. And boy, the news loved that, didn't they? This guy said, man, I'm not worried about it. About two weeks later, he's fighting for his life on one of those oxygen things, you know. We all die. This body has a time limit on it. You get 70 years, the Bible says, that's pretty good mileage. I'm coming up on 66. Lord, give me a little longer, okay? Okay? Okay. The Bible says you get past 70, every year comes a little more labor and toil. But you finally run out of time. It's interesting to watch the people out in Silicon Valley. They're trying to figure a way to transfer their brain into a computer. Have you read anything about that? Before that, they tried cryogenics where they're going to freeze their heads. I don't know what they're going to do with those. And they eventually hook them up to a new body or something like that. They're trying all kinds of anything but God. And that's why Jesus came for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth on him should not perish but have everlasting life. We can rest in this hope. And I don't care what it is, whether it's the coronavirus or some idiot in the area shooting guns. You know, it's amazing. You could be just innocently sitting somewhere and a drive shy shooting can come through two walls and nail you if it's your time's up. By ask God, you're resting in hope. One of my favorite illustrations of this is Dr. Bob Jones III. A lot of you know that's a large Bible college, and, and his grandfather was an evangelist that led the hundreds of thousands of people to Christ. His father was a great preacher. And when he was about 15, 16 years old, he'd heard all the best preaching you could ever bring in, in here. He'd heard his own father, heard his grandfather But as he went to bed, every night he was scared to death. He would take the covers and put them over his head and said, I hope I make it to morning because he had no rest in Jesus. And one night he finally said, Lord, if you get me through the morning, I will not deny you anymore. And that next morning, Dr. Bob Jones accepted Jesus Christ as a Savior. He said that was a watershed moment. He said, from that moment on, I could go to bed No matter what happens, if I were to die tonight, I know I'd wake up with the Lord. Listen, you may be coming to church your whole life and everybody looks at you and they say, well, you're a deacon, you're a deacon's wife, you're a deacon's child, you're a pastor's kid, your father teaches Sunday school, you've been here since the nursery. But you're not resting in hope. And that hope is Jesus Christ. And that hope is believing that he is who he said he is and he did what he said he could do. He could save you from your sin, but there needs to be a repentance. Somebody reminded me recently, you need to remember to use that word. Repentance, exactly what it says by the end of this passage. Repent and believe. There's two sides to the coin. I turn from my sin. I turn from all my own efforts. They can't save my soul. And I turn and place my faith, not just in something. I place my faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ. And this is why they could speak all those languages. So they could explain it to these 21, 22 different people that were there in that city. And after the feast was over, they were all going to go home. And can you imagine if there was just one saved in every nation, there'd be 22 missionaries. Isn't that exciting to think of that? And you know, God sort of done the same thing. We all live in different neighborhoods. We go home, there's 40, 50, 60 of us. Have you told your friends about the Lord? And we don't need a modern day of being able to speak Spanish all of a sudden or, or, or Italian or whatever. We can just go over and knock on their door and say, here, let me tell you about Jesus. But we have the Holy Spirit to empower us and help us to do that job. Let's go on in the message, please. So he says in verse 31, we're in chapter 2. He's seen this before of the resurrection of Christ that his soul was not left in hell, neither his flesh corruption. Verse 32, this Jesus hath God raised up, wherefore we are all witnesses. Well, they could literally say, we saw Jesus alive. And so they were witnesses. And yet you and I, how can we witness? Because you know, as well as I do, when you accepted Christ as your Savior in your heart, he changed you from the inside out. And we should be witnesses to those around us of the saving power of our Savior. Go on, please, if you will, in verse 36. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus, whom you Jews crucified, he has made him both Lord and Christ. Can I say to you, Jesus Christ is Lord of all. We've been preaching, and some of you are newer in our church. I hope you come back on Sunday nights at 6.30. We're preaching the last two messages tonight and next Sunday night at the very end of the book of Revelation. I've enjoyed that series as we've studied about how the Lord's going to come and the second coming and, and the judgment seat of Christ. But one thing that we learned very clearly in the book of Revelation, Jesus is Lord of all in the end he wins in the end Satan is defeated and cast in the lake of fire in the end all those even though they've heard the gospel but they have made the fatal mistake of rejecting by unbelief will be cast in the lake of fire as well he is Lord of all And Jesus calls to all of us to receive him as our Lord and Savior. Have you believed on Jesus? And the Bible says he is not only Lord, he is Christ. What does Christ mean? It means God's sent one. God the Father has sent his Son to seek and to save that which was lost. And God loves you very much. He loves every single person in this room. You know, this week I've had an opportunity to do a lot of witnessing, and I've really enjoyed, especially with what's going on in our country, to be able to witness to people of different backgrounds. I told my wife, I came home today, and I witnessed to a Spanish person. I came home today, and I witnessed to a black person. I came home today, and I witnessed to a person that just came from Louisiana. That's another country, isn't it? aren't you glad that the power of the gospel doesn't have a boundary? He's Lord and Christ of all. Of the rich, of the poor, of the privileged to the non-privileged, to the oppressed, to those that don't feel oppressed. The Lord is Lord of all. And there's nobody that just automatically has it because they're born into it. We all need to repent and believe. And we all will stand individually. And it depends on a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. In the book of John, it's written a little different ye must be born again. Somebody ask you a question Have you been born again? Is Jesus your Christ? Have you received him as your Lord and Savior? Have you turned and repented from all that you can do and all the garbage in your life and said, Jesus Christ, without you, I have no hope for eternity and I place my faith and trust in you and you alone? Have you done that? Well, Whether you have or not, he is still Lord. Whether I believe on Jesus being Lord doesn't make make him a Lord or not a Lord. He is the Lord, and he is God's Christ. God's Jesus said this, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Let's go on in verse 37. Now, when they heard this, that's all these people that asked this question. When they heard this, they were pricked in their heart. You know what and I would call being pricked in the heart? They were convicted. They were convicted. Most of us, many of us here, have accepted Christ as our Savior. Amen? Do you remember the day you were pricked in your heart? You were just sitting there minding your own business, and the God came along with the truth of the Word of God. Somebody told you, and they just sort of stuck it in your heart. And you went, I'm a sinner. Man, if I keep going this way, I'm going to die and go to hell. And pricked a little further, Jesus is God's son. And he paid for your sin. And without him, you have no hope. You need to repent from this and you need to trust in him. You are convicted. I remember as a young boy being convicted, my grandfather had died. I didn't understand it. And my sister explained to me that death without Christ led to hell. But Jesus, believing he's the son of God and accepting him as your savior, that you could go to heaven and be saved. And I was pricked in my heart. I mean, just, I probably had heard it before, but that day I was pricked in my heart. And maybe you're here this morning and God's pricking your heart. He's convicting you and he's saying, you need my son. And you know if you died right now that you would smack hell wide open. You see, there's no exceptions to this. Every single one of us will give an account of our soul one day before God. And it's not because of my, my family, my father, my mother, my sister, my brother, my wife, my, my husband, nobody else It'd be me. And I'll stand there. So, Pastor, that's just you talking, that's a Bible talking. And they were pricked. They'd never heard preaching like this before. And it says, look at the end of verse 37 and when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart, and they said to Peter and to the rest of these apostles and brethren, What shall we do? Okay, we believe you now. What do we need to do? Then Peter said unto them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remissions of sins and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. At this point, the Holy Spirit is just coming. If you will receive Christ, it says here to repent and then by baptism publicly uh, say your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ that you then can become child of God. Now, the Bible makes it clear in other passages of Scripture That physical baptism does not save me. But this was an action of clear trusting Christ, and that God then they could have that same salvation. So let me ask you a question. You say, I'm convicted this morning, Pastor, I'm pricked in my heart. I need the Lord Jesus Christ. What do I need to do? Repent and believe? take that step. It's not just head knowledge. When I was a boy, my my pastor used to talk about in his messages over and over again, are you going to miss heaven by 18 inches? When I was little, I didn't understand how you can miss heaven by 18 inches. And one day he explained it. He said, there's a difference between head knowledge and placing your heart. That's just the idea there, isn't it? Are you one of those that knows but hasn't placed your faith? Knowing won't save you. Did you know even the devils and and the angels that are away from God, they know and even fear and tremble because they know God, but they're still not his children. Is it possible that you have the head knowledge but not the heart belief? Verse 39 for this is the promise unto you and to your children to all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And with many other words he did he testify and exhort, saying, save yourselves from this untoward generation. And let me just park there for a moment. We live in a weird generational time. When we woke up, 2020, January 1st. Could you have pictured what was going to happen this year? I mean, wildly writing some movie screen. All the stuff that's happening. And we're not even halfway through the year. We live in an untoward generation. I looked at the news really early this morning. I haven't looked at it since about 5.30 this morning but I saw downtown Atlanta, has, part of it was on fire. We all know up in Minnesota. We all know out in California. We all, you just name the different places. We look at our country and we say, my goodness, it just seems like it's unraveling. I like—I said this last week with the lieutenant governor of Texas said, the problem with our country is that it needs Jesus. It doesn't take away the imperfections and the injustices, but what our country needs is to find faith and trust and rest in the finished work of Christ. And you're here this morning. If you want to be able to make it through this untoward time, if you want to make it through this tough times, if you want to have confidence no matter what happens, that confidence does not come on who you vote for, it doesn't come in, uh, on the job that you have and a guarantee from, that you're going to have an income. It doesn't come because you've got CDs in the bank and you're not worried about any economic. It doesn't work because you're staying in your house and you're staying away from any viruses. This rest and this hope comes because you're in Jesus and that period. And is it possible that you, knowing this in your head, still haven't believed? And Peter says, and this is why we preach in these 22 languages so that everybody can hear. And this is why I bring a very simple gospel approach. The church is just beginning, and these 12 apostles, God's given them a special empowerment and endowment, and the believers after that are going to have that same power. But the power is to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ that will bring peace and hope and rest to their souls. This is the message. Verse 41, Then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day there were added unto him 3,000 souls. My goodness. Can you imagine preaching and 3,000 people believe on Jesus as their Savior? I, I've thought about this before. He's preaching, and 3,000... Peter must have some big lungs. That's a lot of people to preach to. Another place in the next chapters, it says one day 5,000 get saved. These were Jews that maybe thought they were doing the best they could. And when they realized that Jesus is Lord and the Messiah Christ, they believed with a simple heart. And that day they were converted to Jesus Christ. And they got rest to their soul. The result was in verse 42, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. This is the church forming. Look at the basis of the church. I'm not going to preach this message, but you can mark about five things there. They had steadfast doctrine. A good church grounds its people in the truth of the Bible. Second of all, it said they had fellowship. What is fellowship? That's two fellows stuck in the same ship. You better talk or you're not going to have anybody to talk to, right? So we have fellowship, one with another. A church, it's interesting, our church is quite cross-cultural. And I love watching somebody from this country and this background and this place in the country and this person in the job and this person in this job, and they're all out in the parking and going blah, 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 blah. They're fellowshipping. Fellowship knits the hearts of a group together. Don't rush off after church every Sunday. Stick around in fellowship. When this virus is passed and you feel a little more comfortable, invite somebody into your house and have some fellowship. One evangelist we used to have, he said, have some bellyship. That's where you have some food too, okay? So have them in and and fellowship. So they continued in good doctrine, and they were friends with each other, and they broke bread together, and they prayed together. Let me park on the importance of Wednesday night in a church schedule. What do we traditionally call the Wednesday night service? Prayer meeting. We have a Bible study. We have the kids have some sailors club. But when we get done studying the Bible, we separate in different rooms and we pray over our country, pray over our missionaries, we pray over our requests, we pray for God's power upon our services and we get in our knees together, twos, threes, and groups, whatever it is, men and women and teenagers in college and career, but we pray together and the power of God comes upon a group like that. I used to put in our church bulletin in the early days of our church every inch that we take from the devil we take on our knees. We don't take because we got bravado and we're cocky we're going to go out and take this world. But we have solid doctrine. We have prayer together, we have fellowship, we eat together. Look at verse 43. And fear came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. God empowered this church. And isn't it amazing when people are walking in the power of God, you start seeing people converted. You start seeing amazing problems fixed by the power of God, lives being changed. Verse 45, and they sold their possessions. I'm sorry, verse 44, and all that believed were together, and they had all things common. They sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need. Here's a church that's meeting each other's needs. And I've watched that. I've been here 40 years in this church. And I I, I love it when I see somebody coming in the back door and they're carrying a great big old bag. I almost always know what it is. They're passing on some clothes to somebody else. I watch and I see somebody. I'm reaching the offering. But I, I see somebody and they've got a little envelope. Maybe it's not this color, but they're just going over and they just leave it quietly with somebody's name on it. And you know they've just met somebody's need. That's what Christians do. They fellowship. It says they sold possessions to help each other. That means maybe they had an extra car. and They said, we could do without that car, but we can get a couple thousand dollars and this brother needs help because he's got a medical bill. That's sacrifice, is it not? They had all things common. This is a church that's functioning together. This is a group that's loving each other. This is a group that says, we are one in Christ. Unfortunately, a lot of times in our church today, we're like ships passing in the night and we don't even know each other's needs anymore. This is the early church, empowered by God with evangelism and 3,000 are saved and 5,000 are saved and lives are being changed and wonders are being done in the church and the people are getting under the burden of this unity. And God is doing amazing things. If we took time to study the book of Acts, which we can sometime, we'll find the church had problems. That selling property and doing all the rest. Two of the people, Ananias and Sapphira, they lied to God. And instead of being a blessing, God had to deal with them and spank them. The church had learned. Churches are not perfect places. If you come to a church family expecting everybody's going to be perfect and there's never going to be any hard feelings and we're never going to rub against each other, you just have a wrong view of a church because we're human beings. But we have a common goal. What is our main common goal? Glory God, glorify God and carry his gospel to the ends of this earth. It says in verse 26, 46, And they continuing daily with one accord. I circled that one accord because that's how the church needs to stay. When the church starts to fuss, the gospel goes out the door. Can I hear an amen? When the church gets divided, instead of being focused on getting Jesus to the world, we get focused on our feelings and our pride. The church needs to stay of one accord. They need to get on their knees. They need to pray. They need to fast. They need to stay of one accord. And they continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house. That means the pastor needs to come by every night and you feed them. You don't like my interpretation of that? Okay. Did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart. is this a pretty picture? Wouldn't you, wouldn't you love it if... Our church and every church just stayed like this forever. Truth is, it's not always as easy, is it? It is if we're walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. If we're in the word of God, if we're determined to stick together and pray for each other, look at verse 47, praising God, have in favor with all the people. What was the result of this? God got the glory. And they had favor with the people. What's that mean? That means the people that were looking in and they saw this church and the amazing power of God, the people would listen. They had favor with them. They had power when they went out with the gospel. One of the problems with the gospel, let's just say in America, is that when you try to witness to somebody, somebody will say, I knew a Christian once. And how do they start after that? He was a hypocrite. He could preach it, but I tell you what, he could drink it too. I was at a store where they have all these little different things you know, you could buy and all these cute little sayings. And one of them, I wanted to take off the shelf and rip up just my old flesh. It says, I love Jesus and my beer too. But isn't that how the world sort of pre- looks at Christians? You want them both ways. And they don't have favor. Listen, when you and I are hypocrites and two-faced, we have no favor with the people. And we have no praise with God. So here's a group that's unified. Here's a group that's growing in the Lord. Here's a group that's church that's meeting each other's needs. Here's a group that's following the power of the Holy Spirit in their life. Here's a group that has accepted Christ as their Lord and as their Savior and as the Messiah. And here's a group that's ready to preach the gospel. Praising God, having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church, how often? Daily. Such as should be saved. You know, Christians, we ought to have a a real hunger. I don't care. You put, not just Westside Baptist Church. We ought to ask and beg God to add to our church. Not so we can put a board up here and say, okay, we had 22, now we had 25, now we have 30. Now you're 35. That's not what it's about. When the church is being added to you daily, people are being saved. And we ought to hunger that my mother, my sister, my brother, my uncle, my cousin, my neighbor, my workmate, the person I go to school with, that they come to Jesus Christ. The persons that live on my street, that they come to Jesus Christ as their Savior. Lord, add to the church daily. This is the opening of God's church in the New Testament. The power of God has come upon the church. They preach the gospel. It's an amazingly powerful thing, and the people are unified, and it just has this beautiful picture. And Peter and John and the rest go out, and God's doing amazing things in the church. This is not just for the book of Acts alone and it stops. This is how God wants his church to function today at Westside Baptist Church. So let's ask ourselves a few questions as we close this, this study Are you in Christ? Is your rest in him? Are you 18 inches away from heaven or are you resting in hope? I believe Jesus is God's son. Yes, pastor. I've placed my total trust in him. I've turned from my own efforts and I have trusted Jesus Christ. I remember when I did. And do you have favor with people around you because your testimony is real? Is the power of the Holy Spirit able to flow through your life to bring people to Christ? We may not today speak with tongues, but we speak the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if it's going to go forward, it has to go through clean vessels and yielded vessels and people that are determined to let God use them. God will not use dirty vessels. God will not use a divided church. God will not use people that will not put him first. And we ought to hunger to be like this church. This is the model that God set up. God helped Westside to be that kind of church. God helped me help you to be men and women of God with God's anointing on their life. Sometimes some hard questions are, are you divided from somebody in this church? I've known over the years people that won't speak to each other at churches. They time it so they don't have to go out the door when somebody else is out there. They're angry at them. Somebody said something, and they let it go for weeks, months, and years, and it grieves the Holy Spirit. people that have sin that nobody knows about away from the church and they're doing that which is wicked and they've got a facade over their life and it says, where's the power of God upon that church? God can't bless a group of people like that. So I ask you this morning, is the power of the Holy Spirit able to be on your life as a Christian? I didn't say, are you receiving the Holy Spirit? I didn't say, are you seeking it? I said, can the Holy Spirit use you as a clean vessel? Are you right with God? Are you right with your fellow man? Can the power of God flow through your life? Lord, help us to be this church. Heavenly Father, I pray that you'd help us this morning to be the kind of men and women that you can use like you did this first church in Acts chapter 2. Father, may you help us as we let you change us through salvation. And then let the gospel, the good news, flow through us. May it flow through yielded vessels, growing vessels, vessels that are purged of sin and divisiveness and and wrong attitudes and pride, but are yielded to the lordship and the and the image of Christ in their heart. Father, be with us as we close this service. That we would. Allow you, through your Holy Spirit, to search our heart. Father, perhaps you've been convicting and pricking a heart this morning. May that person, those people, whatever, respond. May you help the Christian that's out of sorts with you or with a fellow man to be pricked in their heart today. In Jesus' name, with heads bowed and eyes closed, I wonder if there's somebody here to say, Pastor Butts, You talked about a person that's just 18 inches off from receiving Christ. They know, but they haven't placed saving faith. They know, but they haven't repented and turned and trusted Christ alone to save them. Pastor Butts, that would describe me. Pastor Butts, today I want to go home. I want to accept Christ. I want to believe on him. I'm not going to come 18 inches short. I need to call upon the name of Jesus today pray for me. Would you quietly slip your hand up where I could see your hand? Pastor, I need Christ today. Pray for me. I want if there's somebody here this morning to say, Pastor, I know that God wants to use me as a Christian, but there are some things in my life, probably and maybe nobody realizes this thing in my life is not right with God, but I know and God has been convicted me that I need to get some things straightened out. They're sin, they're wrong. That's the wrong thing between me and God. And unless I get that thing right, the power of God cannot flow through me to be a witness. Pastor, I need to do some work with God to get some cleaning done. Pray for me. Is there someone like that? Just pray for me. Just slip your hand up where I can see it. Pastor, I need to do some cleaning. I see that hand and that hand and that hand. God bless you. Thank you. Drop it back down. Pastor, I need to do some cleaning in my heart. God knows. I already know Christ is my Savior, but I've been not living like I should consistently. God knows. God bless you and God bless you. God bless you. If the power of God's going to come and we're going to see people come to know my Savior. I need to be a cleaned up vessel. Pray for me too. Is there somebody else? Now I'm going to ask a very pointed question and you just respond as you would. Are you right with your fellow Christian? That's a pricking question if you're not right. The Bible says that we need to let all of our offenses and anything that we are, let Jesus have it and quit being so offended and wearing it on our shoulder all the time. Say, Pastor, I've allowed my relationships to come get broken and there's wedges and there's division and lack of unity in my heart and I need to ask God to take that away from me. Pray for me, is there someone like that? Maybe it's in your own family. Teenagers to parents, parents to teenager, husband to wife, wife to husband. I've allowed our relationship, I've allowed an anger, a bitterness to grow. And I want God's spirit to use me and I've allowed this thing to to, uh, snare me. Pray for me, pastor. or somebody else. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Put it back down. Father, you've seen our hearts today. Father, as we've asked different questions that were quite probing this morning, different ones have quietly, just sort of gingerly raised up their hands because this is sort of private business, Lord, for them. And yet they're responding by asking this pastor to pray for them. And Lord, I do. You know the men, the ladies, some of the younger ones that raised their hand this morning. Would you help them? Would you give them victory? Would you clean them up? May you help them with those relationships, those bitternesses and angers that are there. May you help them to put them away and begin to grow and be used by you again. In Jesus' precious name, amen.